Hey everybody, Chris Harry with you on Chargers Weekly. Big time episode for you this week. A bit later, I'll be joined by NFL Network draft expert Mike Mayock from UCLA Pro Day. The LA Times' Sam Farmer also checks in to talk NFL draft and free agency. But first, a great conversation with Super Bowl winning head coach and NFL Network analyst Brian Billick. It's my great pleasure to welcome in Brian Billick to Chargers Weekly. And coach, it's really been a wild six weeks in the NFL going all the way back to the Super Bowl when that Alex Smith trade was reported. Can you remember an offseason as frenetic as this one? Uh, no, only in the sense that because it's so much about the quarterbacks. Uh, I don't remember this much quarterback movement, whether, I mean, like I said, beginning with the Alex Smith trade, obviously everybody waiting to see where Kirk Cousins is going to go, how the three quarterbacks, capable quarterbacks with the Minnesota Vikings were going to shake out. Uh, as is typical, there there are you know a number of teams that are in need of quarterbacks, uh, and you combine that with what appears at this point to be a fairly solid quarterback draft. Uh, yeah, a lot a lot of interest at that key position. You know, one of the most fascinating things that I saw was really just seeing these quarterback dominoes fall to start free agency. We knew Kirk Cousins was going to get that that record deal, but coach, outside of Cousins, you see a two year deal for Case Keenum. Uh, one-year deal for Bradford, two-year deal for McCarron, one-year deal for McCown of Bridgewater, and you read the tea leaves, a lot of teams looking towards the draft to find their future franchise quarterback. Yeah, and then that's typically where you need to go. I mean, free agents can see quarterbacks, quarterbacks that have changed teams has not been a great history. Uh, it's kind of a buyer beware, not that it can't be productive. I think you can tell by the nature of the contract, short of the Kirk Cousin contract, uh, it's it's okay. We, we know we need to pay for the quarterback position, but we're not going to be married to it long term because all of these quarterbacks, including Kirk Cousins, including Drew Brees, because of his age, uh, each carries a certain caveat as to why they're available. Um, you know, teams aren't in the market of letting go of good good players, particularly good quarterbacks. So as good as Kirk Cousins may be, and I think it's a great fit with Minnesota. Uh, you could look at Washington and say, well, why, why did they let him go? And, and I'm not sure they may not have given the contract itself, maybe come up with a better plan with, uh, with Alex Smith. Coach, what was the most surprising non-quarterback move that you saw over the past few days? A lot of surprise releases and then, you know, just a lot of player movement in general. Well, you know, one thing, Ozzie Newsom, the, the really phenomenal general manager I had a chance to work with in, in Baltimore all those years, it was kind of a ritual. We'd always start each off season in coming into the off saying, now, we can't keep everybody, right? Um, you got to remember that. Uh, and you can't because the, the business side plays into it. The cap has very real implications. Uh, a, a cap deal that may not that may be prohibitive for one club uh, may work for another. So often uh, this is, is economic driven. I think uh, in Seattle, you, the fact that some of the perks that they're doing, uh, particularly Richard Sherman, now obviously with the injury that he's had, he's had two Achilles injuries. Uh, that, you know, most of these players, uh, Trent Murphy leaving Washington is a perfect example. Yeah. A little bit of a risk uh, in, in Buffalo picking him up, but this could be a huge reward as well because it's a, a risk reward when it comes to the potential for injury. Uh, and 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 how the contracts fit. The other interesting thing is, I think you see some players leaving. It's an interesting phenomenon. Some players will actually take less money to go someplace else, because I think it's very difficult for a player to come back into a locker room taking a reduced contract 
and how that affects his status in the locker room. You mentioned your relationship with Ozzie Newsom in, in Baltimore. As a head coach working with the general manager, how much does the philosophy towards free agency change when you take into account how your team performed the season prior? Because I imagine you want to have just that even keel each year, but based on how your team performs the year prior, how much does that change how you go about free agency? Well, a lot. It has to. Uh, but unfortunately, Mead is a terrible evaluator. Yeah. Because sometimes you press uh, some of the things and what you're seeing based on that need. Our philosophy always going in was to do the things in free. And we weren't a big, big ticket free agent team. Uh, and I think a lot of teams have gotten away from that. Outside of the quarterback position, you're not seeing these huge contracts, the mistakes that we used to make with these huge contracts that went out to players in free agency. But you really, most people, I think, go into philosophy, they want to address needs of free agency that allows them to draft with, with an open hand with a free hand, meaning that you don't get into the draft. Because again, uh, need is a terrible evaluator in the draft as well. And and if you have a particular need, particularly in the early rounds, it may warp what how you're viewing a given player because you have a particular need of that position. So in free agency, if you can address some of your basic needs so that indeed you can stay to the philosophy of taking the best player in the draft, particularly early, uh, that that's usually a good way to go. Coach, I heard Lewis Riddick on ESPN recently reference Finding the Winning Edge, that incredible book that you helped write with Bill Walsh, and it was in regards to free agency and how teams sometimes will give big money to that big name based on past performance without taking into consideration how that player is going to fit into that team's culture or just the dynamics of that specific organization. Can you expound on that and why you think teams sometimes fall into that free agency trap? Well, and, and Bill, keep in mind, when we wrote that book, that was on the, that was pre-free agency. Yes. Uh, we were still going through Plan B and, and all the other. I remember George Young, for those that can remember, when we went back and in the infancy stage of working towards players being free agents, we began with Plan B, which was kind of a convoluted process of ranking, you know, placing a player in a certain category and you're paying so much. I remember when George Young came around to the organizations to explain it. Uh, one of our people said, you know, this 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 plan B doesn't make sense. George said, well, you should have seen plan A. Uh, <laughs> it, because it was a kind of a convoluted way we, to get us to where we, we knew we were eventually going to be. Uh, Bill Walsh in particular was one, as difficult as it is, Bill had a particularly keen eye for when to let a player go, leave the organization, yeah. a coveted player that had been a big part of your success, just prior to them reaching their peak and then and then that precipitous fall. Joe Montana is a perfect example. Uh, Ronnie Lott's another example. And, and Bill had pretty good timing in that regard for a couple of reasons. One, obviously, that what he didn't want to get into the position where he was going to have to pay a player for past performance, one that he had affection for, one that had the organization really did owe, but you can't pay for past performance. And, and, and that's where teams get into trouble. The other problem they get into is when they look and they feel like they're that one player away, which they very rarely are. Mm-hmm. but they're one player away at this position or that uh, to, to getting them to a Super Bowl. And typically that's a mistake because you overpay. I remember Art Rooney, the legendary owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers, says, I don't mind overpaying for a good player. I just don't want to overpay for a bad player. And I think Bill Belichick, probably the closest example of that when it comes to letting players go a little bit earlier than you need to. And, you know, we're, we're seeing some some of these guys like Danny Amendola, Deion Lewis, Nate Solder leaving New England. And I think 
Belichick just has that confidence that, hey, believe in our system. We're going to bring some guys in that we think make sense, and we're also developing players in-house. Yeah, and he also has those five Super Bowl rings in his back pocket. Yeah, that doesn't hurt either. A lot of latitude <laughs> to, to, to make those kind of moves where other organizations might be a little more timid about that. And they've done a great job because of the anchors that they have, the main anchor obviously being Tom Brady, uh, that they can, they can bring in veterans at a time in their career at the right price with a very specific role in mind. That, that's really, I think, the thing that, that New England has done most effectively. They, they sign up a major player or a veteran player, one that if they're wrong ends up not being productive, doesn't cost them a great deal. The player comes in knowing that it's a great organization with a chance of winning a Super Bowl, uh, that they uh, there, compared to other organizations, buy into the fact, okay, here is your role. You're going to be just a slot guy. You're just going to be uh, a rush end uh, on nickel situation. You're just going to be a first and second town defender. Whatever it is, the role that they're looking for, they usually get veterans at that point in their career who have resisted that to a certain degree, but now realize at this point in their career and the fact that it's the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick telling them that, they're more willing to buy into it. You know, the Chargers so far, we're taping this on a Friday, they've been relatively quiet so far in free agency. They did make that important move in extending Casey Hayward, taking care of their own internally. And this goes back to just what we just talked about. You know, quiet can be a good thing when you have a majority of your core in place. And I think Tom Telesco has really done a good job of that second and third wave of free agency. I don't know if you could expound on just how important... You know, everybody gets caught up. I think fans get caught up in the first few days of free agency, but it's really those second and third waves where you can really build out your team. That's where the deals are. That's where you want to be. You really, you know, it usually has not turned well, turned out well, other than you buy the day, you buy the press conference, uh, you buy the media coverage and making this sign or that sign. And when you sign your own, perfect example is in New Orleans. You know, Drew Brees, and obviously it was important. He went back to New Orleans. Imagine the hubbub. Imagine the, the headlines. Imagine the shockwave it would have been if one of these other teams had signed True Brees. Oh. It would have been the pre-agent signing of, of the decade. Well, when New Orleans did it, and that's exactly what they did as they signed a free agent Drew Brees, you don't get as much fanfare or credit for it because it's your own guy. So you do want to take care of your own guys. Uh, and, and that always is a priority in free agency, uh, particularly when you have a club where all of a sudden if you go out and you have a couple guys that are on that cusp this year or next year going to free agency, that you'd like to get those deals done, but you go out and get another high-priced free agent. Now they're sitting there going, well, okay, what, what am I, chopped liver? You know, you didn't want to get me done, so you went out and got the pretty girl uh, on the block, so to speak. Uh, and and that's not a position you want to be in as I, either. Coach, how would you assess this Chargers team in 2018 after seeing how they finished last season? Obviously, the coaching staff stays intact with, with Wiz and Hunt and Bradley and Coach Lynn, a really good first year in Los Angeles. Yeah, I, I think, and you always look for that team that has that uptick at the end of the season to see if they're going to be one of those teams, and we typically have six or seven that find their way into the playoffs that weren't the year before. Certainly, Chargers, and with the facing with the Phillip Rivers, because you got to start with the quarterback position. Certainly, have a solid team in a division that is in a great deal of flux right now. Obviously, in Kansas City with the changeover at the quarterback. And as much as they think of Pat Mahomes, that is going to be a major change for them. Obviously in Oakland, the switch over to John Groot, uh, the team that was supposed to be very good last year. And well, we'll see if yeah, they can follow up with it. A, her- a healthy Derek Carr and, and how they come into it. Uh, Denver in total transition as well, because you've got unsettled quarterback positions 
in two of the four teams. And so the fact that you've got a Phillip Rivers uh, is, is a definite advantage in that division. Coach, I love draft season. Path to the Draft on NFL Network starts on Monday, I think 3 p.m. Pacific. You're going to be a big part of that show. Looking at this upcoming draft class, let's start with the quarterbacks. What excites you about these five guys that most seem to think will be first-rounders? Well, we've got a long way to go. Yeah. Uh, And we're going to pick them apart, I'm sure. Uh, This does appear to be a decent quarterback draft. Uh, I'm just right now, because of the path of that draft, um, and that I'm going to be on doing their show every Friday. It's on five days a week, Monday to Friday. Those who want to get interested in the draft, you got to follow this show. They are Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, Mike Mayock is on it occasionally, uh, uh, Charles Davis. They just do a tremendous job. They really do. It's fantastic. Uh, and if you want to get ready for the draft, you really do have to check it out. Uh, but I think in the, with regards to the quarterbacks, it appears that Sam Donalds uh, is is – Kind of the, the the class of the, the of the class, so to speak. Uh, we'll see if it indeed holds up. Um, uh, I've had to get into the film and look at him a little bit more. He appears to be the most solid choice among the uh, uh, the people that are looking at it. I've looked at it a great deal more. Uh, everybody else, again, now everybody's got it's a you know subject to eye of the, the beholder, and everybody's got a little bit of a qualification on it. Uh, Obviously, uh, uh, Rosen at UCLA looks to be a tremendous talent, but there are some questions about the, the mindset that he has. A lot of people, I'm comparing to Jay Cutler, which is not a bad thing necessarily. Uh, you're talking about a 4,000-yard passer and a guy that uh, has had 20 plus, uh, 27-plus touchdowns, but for some reason has not been as productive. The young man, uh, Josh Allen from up in uh, Wyoming, uh, again, a lot of great raw talent, the school, you know, in the smaller division, so to speak, but let's remember Carson Wentz came out uh, of a small school in that regard. Uh, Baker Mayfield is a very interesting prospect. Uh, and let's remember last year in the later part of the first round, uh, Deshaun Watson, who was really one of the most exciting young quarterbacks I've seen in a long time, was the 12th pick. So there seems to be a range of Lamar Jackson and some of the others that you put in there. Um, uh, Mason Rudolph, there seems to be a pretty good solid class. We'll see how many actually end up in the first round. Like I said, no more so than at the quarterback position. Need is a terrible evaluator, and sometimes we over, because of the need of quarterback, we over-evaluate these guys. You know, with Josh Allen, he's such an intriguing prospect because of the arm, and I think a lot of people pegged him as the top quarterback in 2018 last year. Had some struggles at Wyoming this year, and accuracy was a big part of it. Is accuracy something that you can teach a quarterback coach? No. Uh, and it's funny when I would go around and, and you'd look at these guys and the coach say, well, you can do this and that, but, but you can correct that. Well, no, not really. I mean, there are certain things you can do with the footwork. Obviously there's going to be a maturation in, in reading defenses and the like, but either a guy is accurate and has a natural throwing action or he doesn't. And that's the concern. I'm with you hundred uh, percent. Accuracy has kind of become the buzzword. Uh, and there's a lot of different qualifiers. You referenced uh, Finding the Winning Edge, and Bill uh, uh, did a great job, and we did in that book, of talking about what qualities should, should, be look, should you be going Arm strength, functional intelligence, athleticism in the pocket. There's any number of things. And each quarterback carries it in different ratios, so to speak. Um, but what that combination is for a quarterback is hard to quantify. And Webb does seem to be very, very intriguing physically. Um, and again, you could say, well, look at, look at Carson Wentz, where he came out of. 
But I will tell you, the lack of accuracy, being under 60%, particularly in the college game, to me is a huge red flag. Coach, besides quarterback position, I know you're just digging into the draft here as we are, gosh, six weeks away. Which of these position groups should NFL teams be most excited about in 2018 besides quarterback? It's uh, a good question. You know, when you when you look at the, the projected, you have to look. What you're really looking at is the first round. And um, I, I think the running back position, just for the sake of Saquon Barkley, this guy's a tremendous, tremendous athlete. And a lot of people are of the mind of looking and saying, okay, you can get value in the second, third round. You can in the running back position. But we can see with the addition of Ezekiel Elliott, what that meant, obviously, uh, to the, the, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I think Saquon Barkley is a truly unique, excellent athlete that uh, that could you know could be the first. I could see a case where uh, Cleveland takes them with the first overall pick. Uh, the defensive side of the ball, of course, you're always looking for those edge rushers, uh, and that the kid Chubb from North Carolina State is one that comes to mind. Uh, so that that position seems to be pretty good. I tell you one that I was impressed with coming out of the combine was the tight end position. You know, I, I thought the tight ends were a very and, and everybody's looking for that good tight end. Everybody's looking for that uh, that guy that can stretch the field. Not necessarily going to put him in wrong territory, uh, but but the fact that uh, like a Travis Kelsey in Kansas City, the impact Jimmy Graham getting a nice big contract. There, there are a lot of people looking for that type of guy, and there seems to be pretty good depth at that position. Last thing for you, Coach: the Chargers select at number seventeen overall. You look at linebacker, defensive line, safety. Those are all positions the Chargers could bolster this offseason. We also hear about the quarterback with Rivers at 36 years old, still playing at a high level, no signs of slowing down really, but that's a narrative that's not going to go away. Uh, what do you think this team should do at number 17? I guess with the, the caveat that Mike Williams and Forrest Lamp essentially were red shirts last year, so you're going to get two quality offensive starters into the fold that didn't really get to contribute in 2017. Yeah, and that's always a plus. You know, you really it's hard to evaluate a draft until you get two, three years down the line. So when you have some players that, for whatever reason, uh, did not contribute a lot in the first year, it's like getting the extra picks. You know, and at 17, a lot can happen. If the quarterbacks, that's the interesting thing, is if these quarterbacks end up getting evaluated to where they, they do get pushed up earlier in the draft. Well, that just pushes some other good players back further into the draft. Uh, and if you're looking, yeah, you're looking on the defensive side. Yeah, you know, I have no idea where these guys are going to go and what level. But a guy, if you're looking at cornerback, maybe it's Mike Hughes at Central Florida. Another good defensive end in in Marcus Davenport. Um, there seems to be some good defensive players. Maurice Hurst, defensive tackle on the inside. Um, and but there's some good offensive players in there. You can always augment the offensive line. Orlando Brown from Oklahoma. McGlinchey uh, from Notre Dame seems to be one that's ranked. Uh, possibly top 10, but could get pushed back into the second level with it. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities, and the Chargers going to, should have some good players pushed back to them, particularly if these quarterbacks get evaluated into the top 10 or 15. Well, Coach, I can't thank you enough for your time today. Path to the Draft, it's on NFL Network. It starts Monday, 3 p.m. Pacific. It's appointment television. Coach, we look forward to seeing you there, and I hope to catch up with you again this offseason. Sounds great. On the beautiful campus of UCLA here with the great Mike Mayock. Mike, this is an impressive facility here. A beautiful facility, a lot for Chip Kelly to work with. You have been back-to-back. You were in Oklahoma yesterday, UCLA today. Uh, What's the best part of this process for you? It's typically 
getting up close with the players, having an ability to time them, watch them work out, interact with the players, and then even more so, I've, I've been doing this for a lot of years, so these scouts are my buddies. We've been traveling for a lot of years together, and I get a chance to kind of compare notes with all the NFL scouts and coaches. Yeah. So we're taping this on a Thursday at UCLA's Pro Day. What's the biggest difference between the combine and the Pro Day? It, it just seems like there's more comfortability with the player. I think what fans need to understand is that the combine when the players finally work out on the field which is what they see on television it's the fourth day the players have been there they've been up at 5 a.m and their last interview ends close to 11 p.m they've been poked and prodded for every medical procedure known to man psychologically tested it's an exhausting day and then on day four they work out i think when you go to the pro day you're sleeping in your own bed you're very comfortable, you're working out with your peers, your coaches are around, and you feel at your best physically because you haven't been beat down. So typically players run a little faster, jump a little higher, feel a little bit more comfortable, and because of that, they perform a little better. So we have got five guys that look to be potential first-round picks when you talk about the two guys from UCLA and USC. You got Baker Mayfield, who you saw yesterday, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen. What's the biggest difference in terms of one to five? Is, is there a big gap there, or do you see these guys kind of muddled together? I think what really happens with NFL teams is teams are looking to eliminate players at every position. Sure. So at this point in the process, it's not just who's the best. It's like, okay, who, who are we not interested anymore to try to whittle the number down at every single position? So when you look at the top five or six quarterbacks, I'll just kind of give you an overview of how teams are looking at it. That'd be great. From, from my perspective, teams are looking at Lamar Jackson and saying, okay, there's going to be a smaller sample size that, that, that'll buy into him philosophically because you got to change your whole offense. But he's going to win games with his legs before he does with his arm. It's, it's going to be a learning process. Uh, Baker Mayfield is going to appeal to some teams and not others, mostly because of the off-the-field stuff. Okay, Then you start to get into Josh Rosen here at UCLA. And my, my problem with Josh Rosen is that he reminds me a lot of uh, Sam Bradford in that he's a beautiful, natural thrower of the football, but the combination of injuries and an inability to protect himself in the pocket scares me. I don't know if he can survive an NFL pocket. And that kind of brings me to what I have as the top two quarterbacks, which are Sam Darnold and Josh Allen. So from my perspective, I would I would be trying to eliminate names and get to a certain point and then really drill down on those guys. So that's what a lot of teams do at this point. Yeah. And I look at Darnold, and he's got to eliminate turnovers. Is that fixable? I think the fumbles are, and I think he's got to have a better clue of situational awareness regarding the interceptions. And then you look at Josh Allen, and you say, okay, he's as big as Carson Wentz. He's got the biggest arm in the draft. He's, he's like a Ben Roethlisberger as far as arm strength and size and everything, but a 57% completion guy in college. He's working hard on his footwork, and, and that's his biggest issue is footwork. That and the fact that he didn't have any talented receivers. So that's a long answer to your question, but that's kind of how I look at it, and I think a lot of teams look at it. You know, staying on quarterback, I think a lot of Chargers fans, they always ask the question, is this the year? Is this the year we draft a quarterback? And at number 17 overall, we go in a variety of different directions. We'll get into a couple positions, linebacker, defensive line. But if you don't draft a quarterback in the first round, Mike, is there a guy in the second or the third round that you see as a potential starter down the line? Well, I think you have to kind of look at what the Patriots have done for the last seven or eight years because of the uncertainty with Tom Brady, who's even older than Phillip, obviously. Sure. You know, they've drafted three quarterbacks in the last six or seven years in the first three rounds, and they just lost Garoppolo, obviously. So I think you have to start drafting 
kind of top 100 type of players, second or third round players, if you're not committing the 17th pick in the draft. So, you know, who's of interest? Luke Falk is of interest. Um, I I think there's a couple other guys that could be of interest. But, you know, for instance, for me, there's a quarterback at Toledo that I really like, Woodhead. But I think he's more of a third, fourth round guy, and I think he's a natural backup. But at some point, you got to kind of bang the table, whether it's Mike White, whether it's Luke Fox, you got to take a t- kid in the second or third round because, you know, what does Philip have left? Two yeah. good years, three? Who knows? Well, Mason Rudolph. I, I mean, he, he's a guy that I think oh, you have in your top five, right? Yeah, I got tied for five, yeah. Do you think he he's a second-round pick, someone that you could probably yeah. groom for the next couple of years while Philip's still doing his thing? Yeah, I do. And uh, I'm happy you brought him up because he's kind of a borderline one-two and. I think he's going to end up in the second. And for a big, strong guy, he doesn't have a big arm. He's got yeah. a very average arm, small hands. I think he's a natural backup quarterback, but he throws with some anticipation and timing. Um, and some teams will view him as a potential starter. All right, let's move to a couple defensive positions. Linebacker, defensive tackle. Obviously, the Chargers had a great year defensively, but their bugaboo is really stopping the run. Right. You look at guys like Vita Vea, Deron Payne from Alabama, who had a good combine. And then Mo Hurst, who... You know, he had that unfortunate uh, heart condition that was revealed at the Combine. Obviously a good thing for him down the line. You look at those three guys, where do you see them going in the first round, especially Hurst knowing his condition now? Well, I think, you know, you you prioritized run stopping, which is one thing. The league is prioritizing getting to the quarterback from the defensive tackle position. So it really depends what you're looking for. If you're looking for a run stopping defensive tackle, you can get them later. Okay. You know, you, it, it doesn't have to be the first round, but the guys that are going higher are the defensive tackles can also push the pocket and affect the quarterback. So, you know, when, when you start talking about Vita Vea, I mean, he's, he's the prototypical nose tackle in a 3-4, but he can play nose tackle on a four-man front. He's got some ability to push the pocket, but he's not in all their sub packages. You've got to do your homework on whether or not you believe he can also get to the quarterback. You know, the, the kid from Alabama is really good. I mean, Payne... I thought his best football was at the end of the year in the playoffs. Yeah. He, he's as good as stuffing defensive tackles are in the, is in the draft. Plus, he can he's quick enough and I think has some upside in the pass game. The guy you didn't mention that's really rising right now is Taven Bryan from the University of Florida. Okay. I mean, he's 6'5", 290, and you want to talk about a guy that can affect both the run and pass games. Uh, he, he went from kind of a second or third round curiosity to a guy who I think is going to go somewhere between 15 and 25. I guess the question is who's going to look best next to Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram because you got obviously a one-two punch here one of the best pass rushing duos in the league and you want that versatility a guy who can stop the run and also get to the passer. Yeah well I mean the Alabama kid can do both and so can Taven Bryan. I think Hurst from Michigan is more of a quote, three technique, defensive tackle with quick upfield penetration, not as stout against the run. Yeah. So it really depends what you're looking for. And, you know, when, when I think Harrison Phillips from Stanford is a guy you could get in the second I like round him a lot. That, that is really good against the run and has a little more juice in the pass than people think. Linebacker. Tremaine Edmonds seems to be a, a top 10 lock at this point. Roquan Smith from Georgia, Rashad Evans from uh, from Alabama. The Chargers need a guy who can go sideline to sideline, also help stop the run. Uh, when you look at the linebacking core in this draft class, what stands out to you? Well, as far as off-the-ball linebackers go, I think Roquan Smith 
is just electric. I call them energy givers. I mean, they're out there just flying around and it affects everybody around them. He goes sideline to sideline. He comes downhill when he needs to, and he's good in the pass game. Now, having said that, he's only my second-ranked off-the-ball linebacker because I think this 19-year-old freak from Virginia Tech, Edmonds. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Well, I mean, he's 6'4 half, 255. His measurables are crazy. And as an off-the-ball linebacker, he's special. However, he might even be more special as an edge rusher. And I've talked to the people that have worked him out and are trying to train him as an edge guy. He is a natural edge rusher. So if you draft him, you get off-the-ball capabilities on first and second down, and you also get some some joker potential in sub-packages. And there's no comp for him. I talked to Matt Bowen at the Combine. He said, unless you're talking to Brian Erlacher, there's not really a comp for a freak like Edmonds. I used the word unique on a, on a conference call, and they said, well, you know, don't you have somebody? I said, no, the definition of unique is there's only one of them. I don't yeah. have a comp for him. I don't. Yeah. Last thing for you, Mike, I know you've been gracious enough with your time. The two guys that the Chargers essentially had to redshirt this year because of injury, Forrest Lamp and Mike Williams, these guys are going to come into an offense that was humming last year, number one passing offense in the league. Uh, what are they going to bring to this Chargers offense in 2018? I thought Forrest Lamp was the best lineman in last year's draft not even close his Alabama tape was just phenomenal so when he got hurt I felt horribly not only for him but for Philip Rivers yeah because the whole key to the Charger season from my perspective is protecting Philip Rivers so there's no job more important and that's what he's going to bring to the table a little bit of an attitude in the run game and an ability to protect Philip in the pass game and then obviously to help Philip outside with Mike Williams you get a big physical wide out you get those two kids back if they're playing at a level that you're hoping they play at I, it's like getting two extra first round picks That's back great. yeah in the same season Mike can't thank you enough for your My time pleasure. really appreciate it all right here with Sam Farmer from UCLA Pro Day at the Wasserman Football Center and Sam I met you at UCLA Pro Day a year ago feels like yesterday yeah. And I was walking around this campus trying to find out where this pro day was going to be. I thought it was at the same soccer field. This place is unbelievable. Yeah, it's spectacular. We're in the, literally in the shadow of the uh, Wasserman Football Center. It's amazing. I think back to some of the UCLA pro days over the years uh, and how you know UCLA was really sort of eclipsed by USC. Yeah. It used to be back-to-back. Now, the, now they're a week apart. Um, and I remember some of those pro days like, it's like 2007, maybe when the only player drafted out of UCLA was a kicker. Yeah. Um, and I, I swear, I came out here, and a guy was running the 40 in high tops. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. It was that rinky Things have changed a little bit, yeah. right? It was that rinky-dink. And, uh, you know, you'd have people up, up here on the parking lot standing up, because these were the fields where they'd run them. It wasn't the artificial turf that it is now and this beautiful side-by-side football fields. And so it felt so small time compared to those USC teams that had, you know, Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush and those oh, yeah. linebackers and everything. So it was, this was like, uh, you know, this was the opening band for all these scouts that come through, and it was a pretty rinky-dink affair. But this today was was huge this place is gorgeous and even even from last year i i think the headliner last year was like tack mckinley i, right. I think he was the headliner for ucla when and you have like, a shoulder i think he had a, he, shoulder. He had a shoulder end up going yeah. to the falcons i think he had a pretty good year at the falcons mm-hmm. uh but when you have a guy like rosen who's a top five pick yeah. arguably the top quarterback in this draft class this is a big deal mike mayock's here espn's here matt hasselbeck's here 
what did you take away from this experience? And then we just actually just heard from Josh. Yeah, I was I was really impressed with Josh Rosen. Uh, uh, very personable. Um, you know, I was talking to Anthony Lynn coming off the field, and uh, just about well, you know what do you get from something like this? Uh, you've got a mountain of tape on a guy, and he said, "You want to see the interactions? It's one more point of contact um, with a player, but you want to see what happens." sort of interacting with the receivers, um, coaches, you know, doing what he's asked to do. Matt Hasselbeck, I was talking to him about it. He said, you know, Baker Mayfield uh, yelled at a receiver for running a, a route three yards too shallow. You know, Yesterday's you, pro day? Yeah. Do you take that as a negative or do you take it as a positive like Dan Marino would have yelled at his receiver for running it too shallow? So uh, it's all in the eye of the, the beholder. But I get the feeling, especially with Josh Rosen, they want to see what happens, inter- how he interacts with players, how he interacts with teammates, how he takes instruction, and uh, seems to have passed with flying colors. Uh, it, it looks like, too, because the combine's different. When, when you're throwing to receivers you may not be familiar with, and yes. you don't have the coaches around that you grew up with throughout this, this program. Here, it's all your teammates. It's all your coaches. And I think Coach Lynn's right. It's just another layer to this draft process where you can kind of see how he interacts with everybody here and how that may translate to whatever team he goes to. Yeah, and I remember talking to scouts during the season when I was uh, doing a story on comparing UCLA and USC players through the eyes of NFL scouts in advance, which is an annual story I do in advance of the USC-UCLA game. And uh, the big thing from them was – with the experienced scouts who are looking for a quarterback, their binoculars are going to be trained on the sideline, not on, you know, uh, not necessarily on him as a passer, or what he can do skills-wise, but how he interacts. What happens when they're down? Is he sitting at the end of the bench? Is he right in the middle of it? You know, um, uh, Scott Quisenberry, the, the center, was saying, you know, he was the last guy at the vertical leap. He was the last guy to leave the bench press, cheering everybody on. That's what scouts want to see because those little when things. you make an investment like that, uh, so much of it is, you know, what kind of guy is he? And, and that's been uh, an issue with Josh Rosen, so he needs to prove that. You know what? I think over the next six weeks, there's going to be a ton of speculation. Uh, I talked to Mike Mayock about the five quarterbacks that we think are going to go in the first round right. and what order we think they're going to go in. When you look at these five quarterbacks, you got Allen with that big arm. you got Rosen, who we just saw, Sam Darnold's pro days next week, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield. What do you make of this draft class if you can compare it to maybe some other ones in, in the past? You know, I look at 2012 when we talk about RG3 and Luck, and then you got Cousins and Russell Wilson going later, obviously the 83 class. How does this class stack up for you? You know, there's been so much hype uh, with this class that's built up in the last couple of years, mostly from Los Angeles, you know, with with Darnold and, and Rosen. It's an amazing stat that that only once in history have uh, quarterbacks from USC and UCLA been selected in the same draft, and that was with Troy Aikman and Rodney Pete. And I think Rodney Pete was a fifth or sixth round pick, so... Yeah. It, you know, the thought that you'd have two L.A. players going in the opening round, potentially in the top ten, is pretty remarkable. So you have to sort of separate the hype and 
and now you have the dynamic of free agency with all these teams getting what look to be bridge quarterbacks, guys who can sort of hang on, keep the seat warm for a couple of years until you can bring in a guy like a Josh Rosen or a Baker Mayfield. Um, in, in every deal except except uh, Kirk Cousins feels like it's a bridge deal. I mean, I don't think any of us is thinking that five years down the line, Case Keenum is going to be the quarterback of the Denver Broncos. But he may, signed a two-year deal in Denver. Was yeah, that a two-year yeah, deal? May, maybe the case, but uh, it's unlikely. It looks like, you know, we saw John Elway out here today. We saw Vance Joseph. We saw a lot of NFL personnel, well-known coaches and, and personnel. I think they uh, said over 100 is, NFL personnel were here. Is that right? Yeah, wow. I believe it. And it's, uh, um, and it's a quarterback driven league and look you know everybody wants to compare 35 years ago we had the class of 1983 and greatest quarterback class you had six six quarterbacks go in the first round three of whom are hall of famers now um so you know everybody's looking for that 83 class uh there was the 99 class when you had you know was it culpepper and mcnab and and uh uh, Who won Keely Smith. Was it Tim Couch, too? Tim Couch. Yeah. Um, obviously, that didn't measure up to the 83 class. Maybe no class ever will. But um, I think people look at this and say, you know, uh, but again, it's in the eye of the beholder. Somebody could fall, John Elway could fall in love with Baker Mayfield and say, that's my guy. Obviously, Josh Allen had a tremendous combine, and he seems to be the guy with just takes one boosters. team yeah takes one team one team falls in love and then you gotta you know you might have a the strange situation where you know blaine gabbard will go very high in the draft and uh and you didn't didn't anticipate that yeah but it's that one team that falls in love with so it's lots of bluffing lots of uh, liars poker going on yeah yeah. quarterback talk it's a good segue into free agency as you mentioned kirk cousins got all that guaranteed money a lot of the bridge situations with Case Keenum, Sam Bradford going to Arizona, McCown and Bridgewater going to the Jets, uh, all these trades that have happened yeah. before free agency. This is like the NFL's version of March Madness. What, what was the most surprising thing to you that's happened over the week or, last week or two? Well, I do have to look at the Rams and what they've done, um, you know, getting those two cornerbacks who really could be nitro and glycerin. I mean, both yeah. very combustible players. But uh, the Chargers should be thanking the Rams, getting play? both those guys out of the AFC West. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. And that's, you know, uh, that, that to me is an interesting um, – Thing. I was surprised just how much money is being thrown around. And uh, this is a much more – now, th- there was a lot of cap room that, that teams had, particularly a team like the Browns. But these are some big money deals. And, and I look at that Kirk Cousins deal, which may or may not have uh, been signed at this point, um, and I think that's guaranteed money. Yeah. Uh, that could change the dynamic of what players. I mean, if you're Aaron Rodgers uh, coming down the pike, I mean, you're oh, going to want. You're all smiling that right now. Money, yeah. I think Matt and, Ryan's up too. Boy, yeah, and that and that really, um, you know, you know what you're getting with a Matt Ryan, you know what you're getting with an Aaron Rodgers, but it puts a lot of pressure on personnel executives to be right teams to be right if you're going to guarantee that money. It's a big enough risk that you got the injury, but injury you know situation in football but um to guarantee a whole ton of money is is a bold move 
Yeah, he, he's definitely a, a trendsetter yeah. in, in this in this Absolutely. new NFL. Cleveland Browns doing a lot of work here yeah. with Tyrod Taylor, Carlos Hyde, Jarvis Landry. Jarvis that Landry, trade. I mean, that's a really that's a, a pretty amazing thing. You know, I, I, again, I think you look and you still have the one and four pick, and uh, you know, I think you have to look at Saquon Barkley and say, now, granted, it's been twenty years since. Running back went first in the draft, but if you're not in love with the quarterback in this draft, if there's not one guy that you absolutely have to have, why not take the running back uh, number one and then roll the dice on number four? Because well, especially if you have if you have two or three guys graded the same, yes, and and, and you can live with one of them and say this could be our franchise guy. Why not take sorry, Saquon Barkley? Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's uh, uh, somebody's going to take him. You know, the Giants take him at two or the Colts take him at three. Somebody's going to take him up in the top five or trade up and, and, and get him because he's that kind of player. So, so, again, if you don't love – if you're not in love with one specific quarterback, um, take your chances. Sam, what do you make of the AFC West now? I talked to a lot of people about this at the Combine, just all these changes. And, you know, changes are happening in real time. I think the Raiders just signed Jordy Nelson and released Michael Crabtree. You know, you have, yeah. a, you have a new coach there in Oakland. Uh, all, all the different changes in Denver and, and Kansas City, obviously. Um, and then you got the Chargers, who haven't – we're taping this on a Thursday. They haven't done too much yet in free agency. But that's almost the sign of, of a team that's got a lot of players coming back in 2018, you know, hopefully ready to get into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that you look at the guard they drafted last year, the receiver they drafted last year, and we talked about this. And, and it's almost like they're going to have three first-round picks or uh, yeah. first or second-round picks, you know. And, uh, you know, you do look. You look at Kansas City and, and all the changes they've made, some very dramatic changes in Kansas City. Um, you know, new coach in Oakland, um, but – you know, interest, some interesting changes. I don't see a huge, huge change in the rest of the uh, AFC West. Some interesting names tossed around, but I think the Chargers are in a good position because um, they don't have a pressing area of need. I mean, they could get a run stop, run stopper, and, and you know, defensive tackle to work into that rotation. Um, but you know, you look at their defensive backfield. It's great. Looking They're good now. Rush. You know, just getting Casey Hayward back and, yes. and re-signing him, well-deserved. And, you know, kudos to, to getting him in the fold here for the next few years as well. Absolutely. And, and Verrett getting healthy. And, you know, I, I think you're um, – uh, and obviously that pass rush is phenomenal. And then just having Phillip Rivers, that, that security blanket of having a guy like Phillip Rivers who still has time on the back end of his career um, – I think they're in a very good position because all those changes doesn't necessarily mean that they're improving their teams. And uh, and and I think we I think we jumped the gun to in free agency. Sam, you want your team to make all these big splash moves on day one and day two, and if they're not making those moves, you're like, oh, what's going on? Well, look at teams like the Steelers and the Patriots yeah. and historically the Packers. Just model of consistency. They're consistently in the playoffs. They try to take care of their own. You, you sprinkle in some needs, but you don't see 
the the perennial teams making big splashes on day one and two. Yeah, fantasy. I mean, you spent a lot of t- a lot of your time around the Redskins. I did. The Redskins were the <laughs> oh offseason Super Bowl champions. I, I tell you what. Year. I tell you what. I remember my part. So my first year working in sports was, I want to say it was two thousand, and this was the Deion Sanders, Mark Carrier, Jeff George, yeah. Bruce Smith led Washington right, Redskins, right. and and that's that's when I think free agency. I don't know. I, I feel like that that's the team where you look at and you're like, oh, best team money can buy. I think they fired North Turner with two games to go. Right. But Rubisky in the last two games of the year. I remember that team and then the, the, the Eagles team from like seven or maybe seven years ago when they got Nam Diasamois yes. and uh, Vince Young, I think. Yeah. You know, they got a bunch of you guys. Can, you can build the quote unquote dream team and then you have, uh, you know, Nick Foles go win the Super Bowl. I mean, it's. it's it's these dream teams seldom uh, measure up to sort of the name value because there's a reason why they're getting rid of these players. Teams are getting rid of these oh, players. Yeah. They know some. They know this player better than you know this player. Yeah. If, if this player's been shopped all around the league, um, there's something to that. And so, so I think the Chargers are in a pretty good position. Um, you know, standing pat to a large degree, taking care of your guys, which also sends a message in the locker room that you're going to take care of the players uh, who who you've invested in. Exactly. And um, and again, change does not mean that's uh, going to necessarily be an upward pointing arrow. This is such a fun time. What do the next six weeks look like for you? we got free agency and the draft. What are you working on at the L.A. Times, and um, what can we expect? Yeah, um, uh, again, all the the we're sort of – it feels like we, the, the storm clouds have kind of passed with free agency and, and trade, so now it's going to be the ramping up to the draft, the owners' meetings, which are always productive. Uh and and then the draft in Dallas, which I think is going to be exciting. It's going to be interesting. interesting. Interesting to see it in Dallas. I was just talking to to uh, Josh Rosen's mom, and they're going to be there. Um, and there is Josh Rosen right there. Yeah, there he is. Um, and she was saying, yes, we're going to be in Dallas, but our heads are going to be so swimming, you know, that it could be on, on Mars. Oh yeah, where the, where the draft is, and so uh, that was odd. I know. It was like right so over my shoulder. Let me I'm talking set about the scene mom. here. There's like this. There's like this thumb security thing where you put your thumb in to open the door, and and Josh Rosen just put his thumb right behind behind <laughs> Sam's head to get into the, the <laughs> Wasserman like, Football Center. You're not gonna slug me. Right? <laughs> I, I, wish I, had, I wish I had this on uh, on Snapchat or uh, or something. It's quite so. odd. Odd. Uh, but then, you know, so that's that's going on, and then. Uh, uh, I, I always have fun in the summer too. Right before the NFL uh, season starts or training camp start, I go cover Wimbledon. Wimbledon is oh, great. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and then do the British Open after that. So it's tremendous. That's a great three weeks in in uh, England, or th- in this case, it's going to be England and Scotland. It's going to be Carnoustie. It's going to be the British Open. So that's always a, a fun place to sort of clear my head, reboot, get ready for the season, and, and then dig into football. That's awesome. Well, hey, the next six weeks are going to be a lot of fun, Sam. I can't thank you enough for your time. Yeah, Chris, Always a pleasure, great. and uh, I'll see you soon. Great seeing you, buddy. All right, take care. Bye, man. And that's going to do it. My thanks to Sam, Mike Mayock, and Coach Billick for joining me, and thanks to you all for listening. Be sure to subscribe to Chargers Weekly on Apple Podcasts, and please leave a review. Help spread the word this offseason. We'll be coming to you next week from USC's Pro Day. Enjoy the weekend, and until then, I'm Chris Harey.